Morning, church family. Welcome to the Lord's Day at Evergreen SUV. And uh, okay, so let me, let's pray. I'm going to offer a pastoral prayer for the church family and the and the church globally. So let's pray before we start the message. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be baptized. Thank you for this uh, public affirmation that we're able to give to one another. And God, I just pray you stir in the hearts of the people that who have been thinking about this. And if they know that they're followers of you, Lord, that they would be moved to baptism, Lord. Although we know baptism doesn't save, we want to obey you. We want to honor you in what you have for us. Father, I pray for those right now in our church family who are perhaps in retirement mode or close to retirement. I just think about, as John Piper preached, don't waste your retirement. I pray, Lord, that you will have meaningful meaningful ministry for them, and they will be clear what you're called them to do. I pray that they will have impact for your kingdom, and they will use this retirement time to even go further with you in ministry, an opportunity to serve you and to advance the kingdom. Father God, I, I pray for the students who are going back to school and who have already gone back to the school, Lord, and I pray for the parents to get back on rhythm, and, and I pray, Lord, that the culture of their homes will be centered on serving you, and the children will know that going to school and learning is an opportunity to worship you and to represent you, Lord. I pray that the students will see this as a blessing to be able to learn. What a blessing. We thank you for the opportunity in our country which values education so much. Father, I thank you for um, just our brother and sister, Harvey and Carrie, who are going to Romania, Lord, to serve a Jonian friends, Lord. I pray, Lord, as they serve wheelchairs to people that they've never known, Lord, that the advancement of the gospel would happen, Lord, that their team would be clear why they're going there, to represent you, to glorify you, and to grow your kingdom. And if they come across any believers in Romania, I pray, Lord, that these brothers and sisters will be encouraged that they're there. Protect them on their travel. Prepare their hearts and minds to serve you with any, no fear, un, without any distraction of what they're there for. Father, I pray globally as, as things go and troubled in Hong Kong with, uh, with hundreds and thousands of people protesting, Lord. I pray, pray for safety for the people there. But also I pray somehow providentially you will move that this would help advance your kingdom in East Asia, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the gospel message will have a freeway into East Asia, Lord, through this, what happens here. I pray your kingdom will be grown. I pray more people will come to call you Jesus, their Lord, and they will love you more. So, Father, we turn our attention to sermon now, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your word will be preached faithfully by your grace. And, Lord, at the end of the sermon, we will have a higher view of who you are. We will just love you more. Jesus, this is what we want. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Spirit of God, minister to your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about culture. We talked about establishing culture in order for us to not go in circles. We need to have the same culture, same mind, same heart, so that we can move. And I just thought about it, like, how many of us know what culture is? I'm not talking about what type of food you eat. I'm not talking about, you know, certain customs necessarily. But culture, the type of culture that we're talking about is shared values, shared attitudes, shared goals, and practices that characterize, here it is, characterize an institution or a people group. So a, a corporation, a university, a team, or a church family. 
What characterizes Evergreen SUV? And what the culture values, hear me now, this is very important, uh, our culture values moves towards what we emphasize. Whatever you treasure is what you're going to emphasize, whether you know it or not. That's what we're moving towards. And in coaching, we had a term, as we reminded one of, you get what you emphasize. All right, you get what you emphasize. So it's just the same uh, principle of sowing and reaping all right, in, in, out of Galatians. But today we're going to talk about what is a Christ-centered culture? What is this thing that I've been talking about? What is this thing that I've been writing about in Leaflet? What is a Christ-centered culture? What is this all about? And this is what makes us distinct, clearly distinct from the rest of the world, from the rest of the San Gabriel Valley. This is what makes us different. This is what separates us from everybody else. And uh, we're going to answer two questions today. Hopefully it's clear. I, I got some PowerPoints, and hopefully I explained this and preached this well. But number one question, what is a Christ-centered culture? Number one. And number two, we're going to talk about how does this set our values at Evergreen SGV? And I think the text today somehow providentially talks about this out of John chapter 12. And so we're going to be at John chapter 12, verse 42 to 50. And as you turn to there, we're finishing up chapter 12 today, just a little bit of a context. Jesus ends his preaching ministry, his public preaching, teaching ministry in Israel. In verse 36, uh, he basically withdraws and goes off in seclusion. After this, he goes into the upper room, has the Last Supper. And, and after that, he gets betrayed, arrested in the garden, uh, tr uh, tried, arrested, beaten, killed on the cross, buried, and rises again. So his public teaching ministry is over, but John gives us a summation and the essence of what Jesus was teaching all along. This is critical that we understand this. And uh, so it's going to start off with a commentary in verse 42 and 43 where the religious rulers rest. So let's rise. As we saw Ezra's people rise last week for the reading of God's word, just 42 to 50 here. John chapter 12, 42 to 50. I'll be reading out an NASB version NASB, New American Standard Bible. Verse 42, God's word says, Nevertheless, many, even the rulers, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they love the approval or glory or praise of men rather than the approval, glory, or praise of God. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. Verse 45, He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears me, my sayings, hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what would judge him at the last day. Rounding out here, 49 and 50. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Never allow us to get tired of reading your word, studying your word, memorizing your word, hearing your word preached. Excite us every single time for you. 
Thank you, Lord. May you be honored during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So verse 42 and 43 starts off talking about the religious rules. They had all the information. They knew who Jesus was. This is a, yes, the prophecies confirm it. What he's doing, it confirms that he is the Messiah. All right? But there was a big but, like a, like a, like a break slamming on the car. Screech, but they weren't confessing him as their Messiah. Massive. But they believe this is. And this was significant. You know, being kicked out of the synagogue. And this is the tactics of the Pharisees. Back in John 9, I mean, if you remember the, the man who was born blind, his parents were scared of confessing Jesus as Lord or the one who healed their son who was born blind. Can you imagine that? Your son was born blind, and a man comes and heals him all of a sudden, and you're uh, terrified to give him the credit. Why? Because they're fearful of getting kicked out of the synagogue. What does this mean? This was significant, though. And this means that you'll be excommunicated. That means kicked out of the synagogue system. You'll be barred from public worship. You'll be barred from basically Jewish cultural life. You're kicked out. You not have the benefits of sacrifice, which atoned for your sins. This is significant. Big. And also, maybe worst of all, they become examples. Look, you don't want to be like those people. They got kicked out. You don't want to be like that son daughter. You don't want to be like that man sitting on the, he's not allowed to come into the temple anymore. This is significant. The question arises, you should in your minds, it says they believed, right? We talk about, a lot about belief. Were, did they have genuine saving faith? Were these people saved? I mean, that's what you want to know. As you're sitting there for yourself right now, as maybe, you, maybe you're wrestling with this yourself, am I saved? That's the question that matters. That's what's, that's what's going to matter. And Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus said, If you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before the Father. I believe these people were not saved. It's head knowledge. They love the approval of men. Verse 43 tells us, For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Approval, glory, praise, Honor from men more than glory, praise, and honor from the Father. This is an absolute enemy to having a Christ-centered culture. People-pleasing, number one, is the first point. Okay? The, the, a gospel-centered culture is not, let me say, is not people-pleasing. People-pleasing is absolutely one of the greatest enemies to having a culture that's about Jesus Christ. Why? Why, Rocky? Because to love the glory of men means that reputation is king. I care about my reputation, therefore I'm going to do whatever it takes to maintain that reputation before men. God, I don't, I think you're there, but I don't really care as much. I care about the person sitting next to me. This is a massive problem for these Jewish religious rulers. Rulers. They treasured what people thought more than what God thought. I mean, can you imagine that? And this is what kept them from coming to Christ. They weren't saved. If they stayed in this condition, they died as sinners. As we sang many songs about wretched sinners. They died as sinners judged apart from God. Now, this kind of reminded me, I was on, on my Israel trip. I keep going back to that trip. It was so fruitful. And, 
And I took a ton of pictures because I was thinking, Lord, help me to kind of understand the scriptures more so I grow my devotions to you. But also, I knew I was there on behalf of the church. Help me to be a better teacher. And there's a city that we went to, an abandoned city, Beit Shean. Beit Shean is in northern Israel. And I took this picture. They had this massive city, and there's this theater there. I took a panorama deal. It's a beautiful uh, uh, arena, and it's about 2,000 years old, about the time of Christ. And it's, in its heyday, it seated about 7,000 people, which is a big deal. Built into the hill, it's just, a, it's just a beautiful architectural work even back then. And then I was drawn to this quote by William Shakespeare. I was thinking about plays and stage and all that. He says, all the world's a stage. Some of us may have heard this. And all the men and women merely players. All right? And then picture number two here is the view from the stage. So I hopped on the stage. I'm like, man, this is cool. And I looked down and said, whoa. I felt the weight of being there. Nobody was in the stands, but I felt the weight of just even being there with NPCs, the attention that this brings. It reminded me back to my old coaching days where a bunch of people come and sitting on the, on the floor of the stadium or the Coliseum or wherever, you felt the weight of the eyes on you. And actors are trained to perform. Actors are trained to perform on that stage. Actors are performed to win the applause of the people, of the crowd. And we understand how to perform according to cultural rules and Every culture sets its value. We understand how to win the applause of whatever culture we're part of. All right? And I, I want to set the stage on maybe three different types of stages. So that you, had, you saw the stage from 2,000 years ago of a play, perhaps. And in Judaism, they had a religious stage. Okay? They had a religious stage, and all they cared about was this. And I'm going to read out of Matthew 23, 5 uh, uh, through 7. Jesus goes right to the heart of it. Jesus is in Jerusalem, similar to this time. Perhaps this happened similar to John 12. But they, Jesus says, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. Performance. For they brought in their phylacteries and lengthened the tassels of their garments. Well, it's a phylactery. I have some pictures here. You see this box, uh, 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 this black box that's tied to this man's head? That's a phylactery. This is a leather box. And this is they broaden it. They made it bigger. They made it bigger. And, what, and, and on this leather box, it has scripture written on it. And so right there, it says, I'm not saying these people, but back then, they broadened the phylacteries and lengthened their tassels of the garments so they'd be noticed by men. Verse 6, they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. They love that, it says. And respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by men. This is the stage that they performed on. Did I wear the right things? Did I put down the right uh, garments? Did I attend the right banquets? Did I, was I able to earn my, the best seat at the banquets and at the synagogue? This is what the people cherished. These were all symbols of religiosity. And this is what they treasured. They knew how to play the game. They knew the rules. They know the role that they had to play in order to achieve these things. I think to our modern day here, I was, I was in Japan, and a Pastor Jay, one of the churches that I, was, uh, I preached at and, and visited, he preached a message, and he talked about how social media is a massive deal in Japan. 
He t- Pastor Jay talked about how we understand how to take the right pictures with the right angles, with the right smiles, eating the right food in the right place. Maybe if you catch a celebrity, take a picture with them, look who I know. And he talked about how the number of likes that you may or may not have sets the level of joy that you have. It's like, look at me. Look at the cool life that I have. Look at the cool food, food I have. Look at the cool people that I get to hang out with. I mean, he talked about how these are carefully crafted posts, and it, it, it was just meticulous because it absolutely mattered how you presented yourself on that cyber stage. And I think to myself here at Evergreen SG, what is our stage that we're being trained to perform on? This is a big question I'm asking here. What gets you going? What do we esteem here at Evergreen SGV? Do we feel the pressure to have it all together? I don't have any problems. Do we have the pressure to say, you know what, my wife and I were great. We had some things here and there, but we're great. No, No issues. Do we have the pressure to feel like we're perfect parents and raising kids perfectly and they love Christ? Do we have pressure to do these things? Where our thought life is this wherever, rampant. Where the number one thing that holds us is, what does that stage think and how am I going to get the applause from the people around me? That's what I'm concerned about. Do you feel like you're on a stage? Do we, I, and, and my concern is this, this, that we train our people to perform on an evangelical stage, Asian American evangelical stage, where we know the right things to say. We know the right clothes to wear. We know the right places to show up and what events to do. We know how to serve. But the Bible says, Galatians 6, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. If we're doing this for the applause of the crowd, God knows our heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Why are we doing this? A Christ-centered culture esteems what Christ thinks the most. Ultimately, Jesus, what do you think? Right now, as I'm preaching to you, God, I hope you're pleased. By God's grace, that's my thought. Right? There's a tension here. There's a constant tension. Jesus wants constant, not perfect, but genuine devotion to him. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we attend the Lord's Day service? Why are we here right now? And uh, we had this term called the audience of one. I remember when I was coaching, and uh, some of us may be familiar with that, the Christians on the team, coaches and players, was, hey, Rocky, hey, 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 hey um, Chris, let, let, let's coach or let's play for the audience of one. I know there's going to be 80,000 people out there. I know there's going to be 10 million people watching. But, man, Jesus, that's all that matters. Let's play, let's coach for the audience. One. So this is our way of kind of we, we try to, like, encourage each other. to Because we know how easy it is to go perform to the crowd. <laughs> we know this. I know this. No one is perfect. No one is perfect. I mean, your senior pastor struggles with this. This is a tension for me. I mean, every time you coached, it was a tension. Is this for me or is this devotion to the Lord? Even as I'm preaching right now, is this for me? My stage, or is this Jesus time? I mean, it's a real deal here. I mean, this is a constant thing, and, and you have to be constantly praying for this. You have to have people that you could talk to. A, a good friend of mine said, I know you love uh, preaching a lot. And he challenged me and said, man, make sure this doesn't become your idol. 
And I'm grateful for that because I do love preaching. I love coaching too on time. Do you struggle with this? I don't think I'm the only one. You know, I don't think I'm the only one. I mean, think about it. I know how to act as a Christian. I know, I mean, I'm, I'm, plus I'm Japanese, so I know how to say the, act humble and say the right things, give, even give you the right looks, like, oh, yeah, you know. I know how to do that. I could fool you. I'm a pretty decent actor. I know how to do that. And I'm, I'm feeling some of us know how to do that pretty well too, right? We know how to do that. But, but a Christ-centered culture emphasizes living for God. Therefore, here's the, the second question of this part. Every, at every green SUV, our value should be living for an audience of one. You care what Christ thinks, bottom line. You had that weird thought that popped into prideful thought as you're driving on the 10 freeway. Oh, well, hold on, Lord. That's not of you. I don't want that. I want you. Are you that sensitive to your thought life even? God sees where no one else may see. And this allows us to be uh, honest with one another. You don't have to play. You're not pray, playing for the applause of the crowd. You care about the approval of God even more. So we start off right there, you know, and, and verse 42 uh, uh, and 43, we start off right there where Jesus is giving a huge com or commentary on these religious rulers. It is not people-pleasing. It's not to show up and put on a show every Sunday. This is not that. It's more than that. It's real. And I'll tell you, I mean, just to be perfectly frank with you, as your pastor, coaching was very public. This is very public, too, in, in, in our circle here. And, and unless I'm in the scriptures the whole week staring at John chapter 12, verse 42 and 43, and that sanctifying work is happening in my heart, you can forget about it. If I just recycled some message, I just came up here and just speak, I need to be in this for my own self, let alone to deliver a decent message, but for my own sanctification. This is the treasure. This is the power that, that we all need. You need to be in the scriptures. Point number two, a Christ-centered culture is not about people-pleasing, but what is it about, Rocky? A Christ-centered culture is about knowing God, knowing God. Jesus, John now gives us a summary. That was kind of a commentary, 42, 43, on the religious rulers. Now from 44 down to 50, John gives us a summary of Jesus' teaching ministry. And he's talking about a Christ-centered culture the whole time. And let me explain. It's about knowing God. Why do we keep emphasizing Christ? You may say, Pastor, why do we keep talking about Jesus every Sunday? Why? Why? Verse 44 here. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him, the Father who sent me, God. Verse 45. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. He's the key to everything. And this whole deal is about knowing God. This is what this is about. You want to know God? And this is a massive claim. This is a massive claim that Jesus, Jesus is basically saying, I am God. In John 1, 18, I'm going to, let me just read that for you. Okay, this kind of gives us an explanation how God communicates to us. Verse uh, John 1, 18, no one has seen God at any time. Nobody. Unqualified, nobody. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. Jesus is the greatest explanation of, of the Father. This word explanation is more than just I explain something. 
on a surface level. This is detailed, systematic, to tell fully, make known. Jesus makes the Father fully known. And this is why we focus on Jesus, because it's about knowing God. A Christ-centered culture is about knowing God. Hebrews 1.3, he's the radiance of his glory. Jesus is the shining, it's the brightness of the Father's glory. He's the exact representation of his nature, the Bible says. He's just like God. Same glory, which is divine. Same honor, worthy of worship. Same power, unlimited. Same knowledge, knowing everything. Same authority, supreme. This is Jesus which describes the Father as well. Same character, holy, 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 perfectly holy. So you study Christ, you'll know the Father. This is how it works. Jesus is God. And I want to just read this. Uh, I want to read this here by one of the a preacher that I admire, James Montgomery Boyce, preaching on this topic. He said, do you think, writes, do you think that God is love? Question mark. You know that God is love because... Jesus Christ is love and showed it by dying for us. He goes on to say, Therefore, we as Christians are not left in the dark as to what God is. Rather, we are those who turn our eyes to the Jesus we find in the scriptures and say, There's our God revealed, right? And we love him and worship him because of it. Jesus is basically God. He is God. He's not just some projection. He's God himself who put on human skin to live with us, to show us what the Father's like. A Christ-centered culture emphasizes knowing God. Therefore, at Evergreen SGV, one of our values, values is that we treasure knowing Christ. This is what it is. We want our hunt and our aim is to know Christ more, to know him. This is about knowing God. Knowing Christ more means that we have a greater sense of the Father. And the scriptures is what tells us who Christ is. That's why we study the scriptures. That's why we preach Christ through the scriptures. That's why I'm not giving you my opinion on things. That's why I'm not telling you certain stories. This is about Christ. This is about the scriptures. Point number three, a Christ-centered culture is not about people-pleasing. I'm just going to review, make sure you hammer the point home. Is Christ-centered culture is about knowing God. And point number three, a Christ-centered culture is about transformation. Turn to verse 46 with me here. I have come as light into the world. Why, Jesus? So that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness, transform out of darkness into light, catapulted into, from darkness into light. And we know that light casts out all darkness and Jesus is light. Jesus is, I am the light of the world. Remain means this. We were formerly in darkness. If you're not a Christian, you are in darkness. It's set for everyone who's not in Christ. So if you don't trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're still in darkness. And what does that mean? That means you're a son of darkness. Verse 36 calls people who are Christians sons of light. That means we've been reborn, rebirthed. That means that you had nothing to do with the Spirit of God comes upon you and boom, you understand, and you believe that Jesus is Lord. What, sons of darkness, let's see how radical a transformation. Sons of darkness, that means you're children of the devil if you're not a Christian. All right? If you're a son or daughter of light, you're children of God. If you're a son of darkness, you're dead in your sin. Bible says you are dead right now, waiting to be judged. If you're a son of light, you've been reborn. If you're a son of darkness, 
That means you're dark, you have a darkened mind. You just don't understand. You're, right now you're sitting there like, what are you talking about? Why are we talking so much about Jesus right now? If you're thinking that, maybe your mind is darkened. If you're a son of light, then you've been in line. Okay, well, tell me more. Pastor, tell me more. Tell me more about Jesus. I want to learn more about him. Sons of darkness, children of darkness are, do evil deeds. Although we're not perfect, perhaps you can see fruit in your life. You do, you, you do righteous deeds now. I can think back to my own past. There's a big change. You know, and sons of darkness are children of wrath. You're headed for judgment. But if you're a son or daughter of light, you're children of blessing, eternal, heavenly. You have given every spiritual blessing. And this is what we're talking about here, transformation. That's one. And you have nothing to do with that. Spirit of God goes, boom, you're a Christian. I understand now. But the second type of transformation I'm more talking about right now is sanctification. Sanctification means we're becoming more like Christ. We're becoming more holy. We're having more Christ-like character. I'm not the same person I used to be in high school that I am now. Right? Sanctification is growing. Since Jesus is the light of the world, the more light we have, more sanctification. Uh, uh, so therefore, a, church, a, a Christ-centered culture emphasizes transformation. We're about transformation here at Evergreen SUV. Therefore, our value is the holiness of the church. We care about how holy our Jesus' church is here. We care. That matters. Because someday you will be judged. Someday the applause of human man is going to cease. It's just going to be you and Jesus someday. Those applause, that applause is not going to matter. It's not going to matter. We need to pursue sanctification and want to help one another grow to become more like Christ. This is what this is about. I remember, let me just take a sidebar here. and We talk about the abundant life and God is about the abundant life, you know, before we go to point four, but it's, it's just a funny story. I don't know. I mean, do you guys know what an energy vampire is? You guys heard of that term? Energy vampire. Okay. Energy vampire are people or things that suck the life out of you, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Wears you out. You're tired. I remember I was like, uh, you know, we have two girls and daughters, and every once in a while I'll go with them to the mall, San Diego Mall. So I'm walking to the thing with a pretty good attitude, pretty joyful, pretty vibrant. Like, all right, why not? You know, I got some time. And then we end up at a store called Forever 21. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, five minutes into this deal, I'm looking at different tops and things like that. I, I, I'm scratching my neck. Is there something just sucking the life out of me? I was good five minutes ago. And I was thinking to myself, that's what kind of like people pleasing is like. It's life draining. If you're living to li please people, I'm telling you, it's never going to be satisfying. It's absolutely never satisfying. You know that even as a coach. If you try to uh, do it for the, uh, the applause of the media or the fans, you can't please everybody. You just got to please God. So we're talking about the abundant life. So a Christ-centered culture is not about people pleasing. A Christ-centered culture is about knowing God. We treasure knowing Christ. A Christ-centered culture is about transformation. We want to become more like him. We want to become holy like him. And number four, a, a Christ-centered culture is about eternal life. I mean, this is what it's about, brothers and sisters. Make no mistake about it. It's about eternal life. It's not about life right now. It's not. If you're thinking here, how can I uh, maximize my time in here? It should be so you're storing up treasures in heaven. 
If you're thinking, how comfortable can I be for the rest of my life? That's not the right mind. That's why I prayed for those who are in retirement mode. It isn't cruise time only. There's other stuff now. There's still work to be done. Now you have more time. Now you have more opportunities to impact the kingdom globally the way you always dreamt about doing. If you're, if you're busy planning other things only then, and you're not planning how you're going to impact the kingdom, you might be missing it. That's not what this is about. Verse 47, 48 talks about a real judgment day. You will be judged. The word of Christ is a double-edged sword. It has the power to save you. It has the power to save you, but also has the power to condemn you. If you hear it and believe, yes, I'm saved as a son of, and daughter of God. If you hear the word and go like, whatever, you will be judged. This is the day of judgment. That's, that's a real day of reckoning. The real judgment happens here. But Christ's intention says, I didn't come to condemn the world, to save the world. His intentions when he first came was to save. Verse 49, it says this, Christ, this is Christ saying, for I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. What is this commandment, Jesus, about? Verse 50, I know, hear this now, I know that his commandment is eternal life. And you say, Pastor, what is this commandment that Jesus is talking about? John clarifies in 1 John. 1 John 3.23 says this. This is the commandment that you believe in the Son, in, in Jesus Christ. God the Father commands us to believe in the Son, Jesus, his Son, Jesus Christ. That leads to eternal life. It's not about life-draining stuff. It's about having the abundant life now and for eternity. That's life-giving, living for God. I mean, a Christ-centered culture emphasizes eternal life. Therefore, our evergreen values are centered around eternal investments. Are you about eternal things? I remember Brother Albert Chong, right? He gave us a gift uh, to, and just gave us his testimony of how the Lord was gracious to him on this side of eternity. I mean, Brother Albert loves Christ. He's been already eternally graced. But in terms of this side of he, remember what he asked? He said, you know, what, are, what, what is eternal? And he, he said these two things, which I wholeheartedly agree. God's word is eternal. Everything else withers, but God's word stands forever. Not the actual paper and the, my leather here, but the actual words, the truth stands forever. Second, people. I want to be very clear about this. People, souls, last forever. One of two places. One of two addresses. If you're not a Christian, if you're sitting here right now, and you're not a, you know you're not a Christian, as I'm describing this, because this is not me, Pastor. So you're not a Christian. Right now, if you were to die on the way home today, you would be sent eternity apart from God in judgment. That soul lives forever. Your soul lives forever. But if you are a Christian and you go, amen, brother, your soul lives in eternity forever with Christ. We're about eternal things. This is what allows us as we're going through hard things. Spouses are ill. Maybe you're going through a physical ailment that may or may not look good. And this is what keeps you going. Eternity. There's hope. This is what this whole thing's about. And God, the Father, loves you. He sent his son so that we could have eternal hope in him. Our church family needs to be characterized by two things. If we value eternal things, we need to be characterized by two things. It's rooted in the word and in people, but 
Therefore, evangelism, not just pastor, not just the, the leaders of lay leaders, but everyone is evolved in evangelism. You're looking to advance the message of Jesus Christ, whether in Romania or at your workplace or at home. You're trying to advance the message of Jesus Christ because people, these valuable souls, are going to be judged someday. This is a real day of reckoning. So you're consumed with this. Like, okay, I, I want to make sure I, I, I impact the kingdom for who God's given me. Secondly, discipleship. Because Christians will be in eternity as well. We want to be sanctified. So we send out soldiers from this church at Evergreen SGV to be effective in the, in the workplace, effective in the moms groups, effective on our sports teams, effective in our schools and our campuses, effective in our workplace and, and in our own employment. This is what we're talking about. This is what our church family needs to be characterized by. We know what a Christ-centered culture is. is. You know it's not people-pleasing. So if, you, if, if this is kind of what is in your heart and, and you're like, whoa, it's pricked you to the heart right now, just repent. Simply repent. That's the good news. Simply repent. We know a Christ-centered culture is about knowing God. We know a Christ-centered culture is about transformation, sanctification, rebirth and sanctification. And we know a Christ-centered culture is about eternal life. We're about eternal things. We're about eternal things. Just to close up here, I want to go back to Beit Shean, the stage. I did a little bit of research on that, and, and I come to find out during the Roman Empire, that's when Jesus walked the earth, Rome was in control, that acting was not considered a, a, I don't know, a very esteemed profession. It's not like Hollywood today where people from all around the world come here to try to make it as an actor or actress and get paid millions of dollars, hopefully. It's not, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. Acting was seen as very low. Therefore, a lot of the actors were slaves. Think about that. And this, was, this blew my mind. It's like, wow. It's, this really touched my heart when I read this. And if they were able to win the crowd, they could win their freedom. Is that you today? That's what's clapping. If you are able to win the crowd, the stage that you're on, you'll gain significance. You'll feel important. You'll feel like you matter. Let me say this very clearly. This is not the gospel. <laughs> that is not the gospel. That's the world. That's bad news. That's bad news because that, that, that's never going to satisfy you. The gospel says this. Christ performed on the greatest stage where the whole universe Angels, demons, people. The father watched as, their, as his son was murdered on the cross, tortured, but brutally killed, hung on a cross, bled to death, was stabbed on the, uh, the side of his body to make sure he was dead. That's the good news. And, if you, and he died. And three days later, came back to life. And if you believe in this event, and you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. Now let me give you another test, my brothers and sisters. I, I, want, I want to be very frank, and, and I, I believe this is loving, and I care. If right now you're thinking, I've heard this before, Pastor. It's not a big deal to me. You need to check yourself. Because, yes, you may have heard this before, but there's something that's to stir within you, like, oh, my goodness, how could you do this for me, God? 
something should be at least triggering in your heart and mind, like, whoa, that was weightier than I thought. Or, whoa, preach it, pastor, preach it, preach it. This is music to my ears. Minimally, you should be excited hearing me say this. But if it's just kind of like, whatever, I don't want you to be like these religious rulers. I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to be like that. Why do we emphasize Christ? Why is Christ at the center of everything? Because it's not about people pleasing. Because by believing in the Son, we get to know God. By believing in His Son, we get to be transformed. By believing in His Son, we have eternity waiting for us. And this is why Christ is the center of everything. You know, Christ is the King. And, and if, if we find the greatest satisfaction in Christ, I mean, Christ is the treasure of your life. Let me hear say this much. A Christ-centered culture would happen, just naturally happen. How could you not talk and think about the one that you love the most? We know how to do this on other levels. This should be a very natural thing. If we love Christ as a body, we're dominated by Christ. He is the greatest treasure of our lives. A Christ-centered culture just happens because he loves you. This is how this works. And so look at John 12 tonight. Tomorrow, just think deeply. I mean, he who sees me sees the one who sent me. Just think about that all week long. Are you kidding me? You see Christ, you see the Father. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. God, I just thank you for how good you are, how gracious you are. Lord, I thank you that we do not have to live according to the rules of the world. We don't have to perform on a stage. Lord, we do not want to be just mere actors. Train us to be genuine followers of you, genuine lovers of you, Lord, where it's real. It's not scripted out before man, but it's scripted out before you to perform before you. And we love you, Jesus. By your grace, if we struggle with this, allow us to be honest with this, with, with you and with others. Help us to repent of these things. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would know what the gospel is. Gospel is that you did everything. You performed. You did everything that needed to be done before the Father's eyes. You're the one that made it all good. You're the one that secured eternity for us. So, Father, I want to bless the people right now. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would come into a deeper knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we would know you more. And so, Father, please do a work in us, Lord. May this not just be some talk that says, oh, I was convicted and nothing happens. But, Lord, may there, there be eternal difference that takes place because, not because of me, but because your word was preached and but your spirit applied it to our hearts. So, Father, God, I pray this for our church family, Lord. Your church family, this is, you love us the most. Please do this miracle. Please do this within our hearts where you allow us to love you so much that naturally Evergreen SGV is undoubtedly distinct from the world and we do have a Christ-centered culture. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.